Scripture reading this morning is from two passages. The first is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. That's the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. You can turn there in your Bible or your app. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The second passage is from Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. It's the angel speaking. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This has been the reading of God's Word. You can be seated. A headline uh, for you kids who are too young to remember newspapers. We still have them on, uh, online, but it's not quite the same as it used to be. A, a headline is used to break down the, the key facts of a story into one, one line. It, it tells you, here's what a headline does, it, it tells you, here's what happened, and here's why you need to know more. It doesn't tell the whole story, but it gives enough that you can read the headline and say, I kind of know what happened there, but I kind of want to know, or I, I need to know more than that. Now, some headlines, just because there is a headline doesn't mean it's important. Some headlines are not important, they're just clickbait, Right? You read them on your social feed, you read them somewhere, right? this is so important, this is crazy, and you click on it and you realize like, wow, you, you got my click, you, you got your account, yeah, that's all you're going for. But, but, but some headlines are important. Some headlines are, aren't, aren't just the, they're really important. The, the, the important headlines aren't just the one that, that are about a big story, it's the, the most important headlines are the ones that are about stories or something that affects our lives, right? That's the most important headlines. It's about something that really affects our lives. And the more people that are affected, the bigger, the more important the, the headline is because the more important the story is. Now, now for, for a moment, just pretend that we still read newspapers, okay? You remember, any guys, 
Some of you kids don't even know what I'm talking about. There, there was printed, it was news, it was delivered to your house, you pick up a newsstand because you didn't instantaneously know what was happening everywhere in the world at the moment that it happened. You had to wait till the next day. I remember as a Clemson fan, I remember as a kid, the, the games I wasn't able to watch. I remember Sunday, probably not till after church, getting the paper and be able to open it up and see what happened last night at the game. Now imagine we're, we're still reading newspapers and if we, being we being the whole world, Let, let's say we put out one edition, one newspaper, one edition that would, would contain the, the biggest, most important stories across the history of the globe. Imagine that, one edition that contains all the most important stories in the whole history of the globe. Not a day, but the whole history of the globe. What, what would be in there? What, what, what would be in that edition? What stories would make it to page one? Fire is discovered. I think that probably would make it to page one. The wheel is invented. That would probably make page one. Written language is invented. The, maybe, I don't know, the Roman Empire falls. The, the printing press would be pretty big news. This is being printed on a newspaper. The, the printing press, the internet. Clemson winning two national championships. I don't know if that would make the front page. I'm just saying maybe if I was the editor, but I'm, that probably wouldn't be there. What would, what would the headline, actually three national championships if you go back, but that's only, well, what would the headline be? What would the headline of the one edition of the history of the world, what would it be? Well, if the Christmas story is true, if the Christmas story is true. If that nativity set that's behind me, if that nativity set that you have at your house, if the, the story that Charlie Brown and Linus talk about, if the Christmas story is true, then the headline at the top of the page, written in bold letters, would be something like this. God becomes man, brings hope. That would, something like that would be the headline for that edition. God becomes man, brings hope. Because there may be many things that you need to know today, but there is nothing, nothing that affects you like that headline. God becomes man, brings hope, nothing. Nothing affects you and every single person who is alive and who has ever lived. Nothing affects their life like that one headline. God becomes man, brings hope. Now, you might think about religion. You might think oh, religion is good. It, it has its place, right? It has a place in my life. It, it, it's, it's something that I, I feel should be a part of my life. I think religion's important. That's why I go to church. That's why I'm here today, Randy. That's why I kind of participate in this thing. A religion is good. It, it's a, it should be a part of my life. I want it to be a part of li my life. I, I like my life. Maybe you say something like this. I like my life better when church and religion is a part of it. Maybe, maybe that's kind of what you think about religion. That's what you think about church, Christianity. But it's not all of my life. I like my life when religion is a part of it, but it's not 
all of my life. It, its purpose, mainly, if you're to really think out why you're a part of Christianity, why you participate in religion, you would say something like, if somebody give you truth serum, what you would really say is its purpose, religion, Christianity, church, it, its purpose is mainly to help me have a better life. That's why I participate. I like myself. I like my life whenever it's a part of it. But if that headline is true, God becomes man, brings hope, then that kind of thinking, I like religion because I like it to be a part of my life. I like my life when it's a better because it helps me live a better life. That kind of thinking doesn't really make sense if that headline is true. Imagine this. Imagine me, if you, if you could, if you were an American adult on December 7th, 1941. Some of you guys know what that is. Some of you guys don't. I'm very disappointed in you. And uh, we should all, you know, read more books. That, that's the day of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Now, imagine if you're an adult, December 7th, 1941, and you pick up the paper the next day on the 8th and you read about the attack on Pearl Harbor the day before. Maybe you heard about it on the radio the day of. And, and maybe you think, that's all the way in Hawaii. That doesn't affect me. That, that kind of thing involves politicians and military leaders. That doesn't involve me. Uh, that's not important to my life. It doesn't affect my life today. But what we know is that it did. If you were an adult in December 7th, 1941, over the next four years, that single headline would affect every single American. Every single American would either go off to war or send a loved one to war, and it would change the way every single American lived their life. Life for everyone over in, our, in the country changed over the next four years and going forward the rest of their life. That one headline affected everybody. And if the headline, God becomes man, brings hope is true, then it doesn't really make sense to think that it doesn't affect your life or all of your life. That headline reframes our whole world. That headline, that single headline reframes or should reframe how we think about ourselves, our lives. It should reframe how we think about uh, other people. It should reframe the way that we think about the past and the, should reframe the way that we think about the future. You see, Christianity at its core, at its very core, Christianity is not a religion about making you a better person. It's not a religion that's about making you, helping you to live a better life. Christianity, and this is where it differs from every other religion, Christianity isn't first about practices, though it involves practices. Christianity is first about news. Christianity is first the message that we call the gospel. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. Christianity is, first of all, a headline and all the news that backs that headline up. God becomes man, brings hope. And that news is so important that it affects, it affects all of us. In fact, it doesn't just affect us, it reframes us. It reframes our lives. How is that true? 
how is a story that begins with a young virgin giving birth in a stable, how would that reframe our lives? Well, here's what that headline means. If that headline is true, God becomes man, brings hope. And here's what it means, first of all. It means that that gut feeling that you have is correct. That, that gut feeling that you have that something's not right. You, you have that feeling. We all have it. That gut feeling that says something's not, even when life is good, and you go home and you have a moment to yourself, you think something's not right. Something's not right with this world. Something's not right with me. When you have a medical issue and you can't find what the answer is, whenever you are in a marriage that can never quite seem to, to match, when your kids don't live up to everything that you wanted to be, when, you're, when your career never scra- fully scratches that itch that you desire it to be, when you get enough money and it can't be, uh, still be enough for you, that something scratches an itch somewhere inside you, there's still a, an itch that you can't get to that says something's something's not right with this world, something's not right with my life, something's not right with me. And if the headline, God becomes man, brings hope is true, then that explains what it is that you've been feeling. Something's broken and it's so deeply broken, God had to come to fix it and to take care of it. If the headline is true, then it also means this, that God is real. Now, God didn't become real when Jesus was born. But you know what he did become? He became visible. If this Christmas story is true, if the headline, God becomes man, if that baby that was born in that stable, if that baby was God made man, then God is real. And if God is real, then that has incredible domino effects on our lives, doesn't it? That means he created me and he created you. It means that we were created by him. It means we were created for him. It means we owe something to him. It means we owe our life to him. It means our life isn't made to revolve around ourselves. It's made to revolve around him. That's what that means. It it means if the headline is true, then it means that, that your desire for something more, your desire for something better, isn't that what we all desire? We desire something, something more. We desire something better. The American dream comes and it kind of preys upon that desire and it says, hey, what you desire, you desire something more, you desire something better. Hey, that something more and better is a, quote, better life, whatever that looks like to you. Financial independence, a a bigger house, a a more together family, maybe that vacation, maybe an Instagram feed that looks like that person over there. Whatever that thing is, the American dream comes and whispers that this is the better thing that you're looking for. But if the headline is true, God becomes man, brings hope, then it means that desire that you have for something better, something, something more, has an answer. And the answer is not in anything that we find around us except that God became man to save us and then there is something concrete to hope in. Something real and concrete to hope in. But how does it bring hope? How does the 
the story behind the headline, God Becomes Man Brings Hope. How does that bring hope? Now, it's easy for Christmas to become overly sentimental, isn't it? It's a part, a lot of us like about Christmas, but it's easy for it to become overly sentimental. You think about the, the gifts, and it's sort of like a, a warm, fuzzy glow over, over everything when you, sometimes when you think about Christmas, gifts and lights and Hallmark movies and, and warm memories and Hallmark movies, speaking of things that get too sentimental, Hallmark movies. But, but it even happens when we think about the Christmas story. We think about the stars and the, the sheep and the shepherds and the angels. And we sort of picture little kids in robes doing a play. But how does that help me? How does that help you when life gets hard? How does that help you when, when you're alone and lonely? How does that help you when you're, you feel trapped by your own self? How does that help you in your, your bad decisions? Have you made bad decisions? Yeah, you guys have made bad decisions. I look at you. You guys have made some bad decisions. I made some bad decisions. I made some this week. How does, how does the Christmas story affect me and help whenever I make bad decisions? when I'm trapped by my own self, when my, how does it help my lack of ability to get it together? How does it help when I feel hopeless? Remember what the angelic army, not just a choir, what the angelic army declared to those shepherds in the middle of the night. That they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. That's what the headline means. God becomes man. Peace and goodwill is meant for mankind. And somehow the news of Jesus being born in that stable was powerful enough to those angels that it meant that God meant peace and goodwill to mankind. And it was so amazing that it caused him to, to sing of his glory. What does that mean? Well, here's just a few of them. First of all, God fulfill, it means that God fulfills his promises. God fulfills his promises. That's what, the, that's what the headline, God becomes man, brings hope, means. It means that God fulfills his promises. And, and it wasn't just to some people way back then, because if God fulfills his promises, then that has a deep effect on you and your life. It reframes it. It reframes your life in every way. Remember what I just said about, like, you have that gut feeling that things aren't right? We all have that feeling. Now, some of us feel that feeling very deeply. And you know life is not right. And you tend to be overwhelmed. It, it threatens to overwhelm you. Sometimes you're so aware of how much life is not right that it feels like an avalanche that's going to, to cover you up. 
You feel deeply, some of you feel deeply, deep down that this world is wrong and broken. When you look around, you see injustice. When you look around, you see the hate. When you look around, you see the brokenness. You see what is wrong. You see people hurt. Maybe you have been hurt. Maybe it happened to you. You have been hurt. Maybe it happened to you too early in your life. You were exposed to it all very early that this world is dark and broken. You feel deeply about inequality. You look around and you see it. You see the pain around you and you wonder, why can't other people see the pain that I see? Why don't they feel the pain that I feel, my own pain, the pain of people around me? Maybe you feel overwhelmed by your own inadequacies. And that is like the air that you breathe when you break up, when you wake up in the morning. The first thing you breathe is not, look, I have a day to live, but is I'm overcome by my own inadequacy. I'm overcome by my own lack. Before I even get out of bed, I'm defeated by my day. Maybe you're all too aware of your own faults. You feel so much guilt and regret so much guilt for the things that you've done, so much guilt for who you are, those things that are intrinsically a part of who you are. You can't seem to separate yourself from it. And and maybe you don't even know why you're so overcome. Counseling helps. Medication helps, but they don't cure it. You may learn to cope, but it's still there. You're all too aware something's wrong. Some of us run from it. We have that sense, but we run from it. Maybe life has been pretty easy for you. You don't want to think about anything negative. I don't want to think about anything negative. Or maybe you've learned to survive by being positive. I just have to be positive. I have to think positively. I have to surround myself with positive things. You have a a glass half full, can do kind of attitude. And so you block out anything that's negative. You distract yourself from the bad. You numb yourself from the sad. Anything you can do to, to not think about what's wrong or broken around you or inside you. You try to create a a bubble of of happiness and safety around you, but in actuality, you're actually as scared as those who feel the darkness very deeply. And you don't know how to cope with it. Your hopes continually show themselves to be empty hopes. They aren't as achievable as you thought, and whenever you do achieve them, they don't deliver on the promise they seem to have for you. There's something wrong with the world, and we know it. There's something wrong with us, and we know it. And there's really only one answer that makes sense. The only answer that makes sense of what's broken in us and around us is that we are fallen as humanity and individuals. We are fallen and broken, and there's no escaping it. Judaism and Christians say that that fallenness, that brokenness, it began with the first man and the first woman. They sinned against God, and everything from that moment on broke down and began to decay and to die. And, and what it says is all of mankind, 
And even the earth itself inherited that terrible fall. It's, it says this in our very DNA, and that we cannot escape it. That's where the promises of God come in. There are dozens, some even count hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the big promise of God, which is that a Messiah, a Savior, would, become, would come, would be sent by God to fix what had been broken, to, to change not only what had been broken in the world, but to, to change what's been broken inside us, inside you and inside me. In fact, the very first promise, the very first promise that God gives of a Messiah, a Savior, someone who would come that would fix that brokenness, that would rescue us, the very first promise comes while practically the, the fruit juice is still dry on Adam's chin. God shows up in the garden. He hands out the, the, the discipline for Adam and Eve and the serpent who had tempted them. He, adds out, he hands out the discipline and the consequences to them for their actions. And he, he says this at the end of the curse to the serpent. He says in Genesis 3.15, the very, like, Genesis 3.15, it's right there at the beginning. He says to the, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman who you attempted, and between your offspring and her offspring. And later on we're told that's an offspring with a capital O or a C with a capital S, between your offspring and her seed or the man who would come from her. And he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. It's a picture of the, the crucifixion. Now, many, prophet, many promises would follow after that. The Jews began to think of the Messiah as the one who would come to save Israel and restore her to the, her former glory of David being the king and like their kind of zenith of glory under David and Solomon. But, but actually the promise was for all mankind and it was for our deepest problems. This is what he told Joseph in that passage that we read at the beginning, Matthew 1, 20 through 23. Joseph, after he heard that his bride-to-be, who was supposed to have never been with a man before, she was with child, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. Hear that? To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is Isaiah. Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son, conceive and bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Did you hear that phrase, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet? The Lord had given many promises about the Messiah. He said that, they would, that he would come and he would save his people from his sins, but he had also made many promises about how he would do it. He led prophets to prophesy about what the signs would be. Now I'm going to give you just a couple of those signs, what they said. That passage had one of them, and it's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, he, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's hundreds of years before this happened to Joseph and Mary. 
And here's just, just a few more. There's so many. There's a few more from the beginning of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, we see Micah 5, 2 fulfilled that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. When the, the wise men had come to uh, Herod and they asked, hey, where is the king who was born king? Who is the, who is, where is he who had been born king of the Jews? So we, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And he was troubled and he wondered, hey, what? Where would he be? And he asked his, his wise men, and they knew enough about Scripture to say, well, he would be in Bethlehem. Verses 5 and 6, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is, so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Later on in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, uh, when Herod decides, well, I'm going to just kill all the all the young boys who are in this region, before that happens, the angel comes to, to Joseph and warns him, and he goes to Egypt to, in order to escape Herod killing Jesus. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill, hear that word? This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then lastly, I don't, won't read the whole section, but in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus ends up moving to Capernaum in Galilee, and he starts his ministry there. And Matthew says, this happened in order to fulfill what Isaiah said, that he would be from that area. Now, a, a mathematician, a Christian mathematician added up years ago, he said, if you were to take, he, he met with these students, he said, if you were just to take eight of the main prophecies about the Messiah who is to come, Prophets, prophecies like we just read there. Like, how could they all fit together? How could the Messiah be from Bethlehem, also be from Nazareth? How could he go to Egypt and also be from Galilee? It doesn't make sense. That's just a few of them. But if you take the other ones and put it all together, he'd be born of the virgin. Take eight of the big prophecies about the Messiah who's to come hundreds of years before Jesus was born. He said, this is the mathematical chance of that being true. Just by accident. Not by design, but by accident. He says, it would be one in 10 to the 17th power. This is how big one in 10 to the 17th power is. He says, if you were to take silver dollars and dump them on the state of Texas and cover the whole state of Texas two feet tall with, with those silver dollars and then picked one that's the prize and told someone, all right, Cover the whole state of Texas, stick your hand down to the silver dollars, grab one and grab the right one. That would be, he would have the chance of one to ten, one in ten to the 17th power. Of just eight of the prophecies being true, which Jesus fulfilled. Or roughly the same chance that you have of getting a parking space at Walmart on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Can you imagine? God fulfills his promises. That's one thing that the headline, God becomes man, brings hope. Why, why does it bring hope? Because God fulfills his promises. 
one in 10 to the 17th power of just eight of them? You know why it's so outlandish? Because only, it, it could only be Jesus Christ because he was the son of God. He was God become flesh. God became man, brings hope. And here's why that brings hope. I love this. It might be one of my favorite fulfilled prophecies. Jesus, whenever he grows up, he, he's starting his ministry and he goes into a synagogue and he opens the scroll up to the book of Isaiah and he reads this section and then he closes it and says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. He viewed himself as fulfilling this passage, himself as fulfilling this passage as the Messiah, the Savior, God become man, bring hope. And why does it bring hope? This is what that prophecy was. He opened the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He said, this is fulfilled in your hearing I have become man so that if you are oppressed, if you are poor, if you are captive, if you are blind in any way, if your body isn't whole, if you don't see very well, if, you can't, if you're not very smart and can't perceive things very well, if you are oppressed, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to proclaim to you, the Lord has favor upon you. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. That's the news, God's favor and grace to man in Christ. God fulfills his promises and his most dear, deepest promises that to those who are wracked by sin, those who are oppressed and poor and hurting and blind, those who are in need, I have come to tell you, God has favor upon you. Oh, Jesus, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. God has favor upon you. Look at my track record. God has favor upon you. Look at my lineage. Look at my parents. Look what they did to me. God has favor upon you. Well, why did this happen to me? I don't know, but I'm here to tell you that God has favor upon you. And the fact that one in the tenth to the seventh power, he fulfilled even eight of his prophecies, tells you that God fulfills his promises and he promises to you, are you oppressed, are you poor, are you blind, I've come to proclaim to you my favor upon you. And that's what he did in his ministry. And he saw the apex, Jesus saw the apex of that happening at his death whenever he took on our sin problem. And he conquered our captors. And that means, you know what that means? It means that we can count on God for something. God promised hope, God promised salvation, and Jesus is proof that God fulfills his promises. What do you live your life? What kind of bedrock do you live your life on? Your ability, your strength, a vague hope of a better tomorrow, or the fact that God became man brought hope. That's, 
That's why that's the headline. And it changes and rearranges our life because if that's true, if that's true, then that means that number one, God loves. But no matter how just God is, and how much wrath he has towards sin, God loves and he's merciful and gracious to those who are oppressed and poor and racked by sin. And not just God loves, but God cares. Some of you have parents that you know they love you, but you're just not sure that they cared about you because they didn't want to be inconvenienced for you. That's the feeling at least you got. The news that God fulfills his promises is that not only does God love you in some vague way, but he cares for us and he cares for you. And it means that God is trustworthy. God fulfills his promises. He shows it in Christ. And that means he is trustworthy. I can bank my life on him. He promised that he would redeem mankind by sending a savior. He sent a savior that fulfilled every promise. And the promise was, the greatest, deepest promise, was mercy to those who needed it. A canceling of our sin for those who have sinned. And a giving of life to those who are dead. If he fulfilled his promise, his promise says in sending a savior, what will he do for you? Will he fulfill his promise to save you? Will he fulfill his promise to keep you? Will he fulfill his promise to hold you? Will will he fulfill your promise to bring you home to him in the end? Will he fulfill his promise to take away the sting of death from you? Will he let you down? God became man. Brings hope. Not a nebulous, general kind of I hope for a better tomorrow, but a solid, real hope. As if your parents left you a trust fund and said, it's 100% guaranteed. It's not tied to the stock market. The money's in the bank. And whenever you turn 21, you receive that trust one. I can't imagine what that's like, but can you imagine what it's like? It's that secure. It's not a general hope. It is, I'm, if I make it to 21, I'm going to get that trust fund. And God says, it's not even if you make it, I'll hold you. I made the promise from the beginning. I saw you in your sin in the middle, and I declared I will hold it in the end. I fulfilled it in every way. Jesus Christ is the proof that I will fulfill my promises. And you can bank your life on it. You can bank your eternity on it. Practically used up on my time, but God also, that's only point one. God embodies humanity. I'm going to run through these really quick, I promise. But I want to finish it. God embodies humanity. Humanity. That's the second thing. Not only does he fulfill his promise, but he embodies humanity. We're going to be talking a lot about the nature of Jesus Christ this month. There's so much to say, and even then we won't even scratch the surface. But the simplest form is here. In Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, 
took on human nature, and that means that he was both fully God and fully man. He was and is always the Son of God, but, and this is a mystery. Here's, if you can't understand how the incarnation works, welcome to the club of every sane person, including the angels around the throne that it says they stand in wonder. You and I don't have to understand how the virgin birth happened. You and I don't have to understand how God can take on flesh. We don't have to understand how he can take on humanity. Because the angels themselves stand in wonder. My guess is the only person who understands this is God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We will wonder, the picture of eternity is us standing in wonder at the, 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 the Lamb who was slain for us. That's Jesus Christ. He was and is always the Son of God, the Father, but this is the mystery. He became the Son of Mary. God was his father. Mary was his mother. He was born like every other human. He was a baby. He grew in stature and wisdom, the Bible tells us. He experienced all the joys of being a child. He experienced the indignities of being a human. There's a lot of indignities in being a human. Ever heard of toilet flesh? You understand part of the indignity of being a human. He felt every temptation. He, he knew sorrow and pain. He felt loss. God becomes man. brings hope. When, when we begin to understand what the incarnation means to God, that's when we can begin to understand what the incarnation means to us. Incarnation means God becoming flesh, by the way. This is what God becoming man meant to God. What does it mean to God? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I think if I was starting the church over again today, I would probably call it, uh, to your relief, not a Greek name like Doxa, though I still love the meaning of, it means glory, by the way. I would probably call it Emmanuel. Because you know what it means? God with us. That's not just what the incarnation means to us. It's what it means to God. God with us. And the Word became flesh. The Word that was always with God and created the heavens and the earth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the headline. Not just God becomes man. But God is with us, brings hope. Why didn't Jesus come as a, a wealthy prince? Why did he come so inconspicuously? 
In other words, why did he come with more pomp so that we would know he's God? Isn't that part of what we trip up on? Like, and it's hard to believe that Jesus would be God. He was a poor peasant, son of a carpenter. Like, why wouldn't God, like, record it better, stronger in our, in our appraisal? You know why? Because that wasn't his mission. God has no need to impress us with his godness. He's not like a human. He doesn't want to roll up in a room and for you to automatically know who they are. You know, that's our temptation as humans. We dress ourselves, carry ourselves, so we walk in a room like, you'll know who we are. God didn't feel any need to do that. He didn't need to impress us with the godness. Jesus' favorite title about himself wasn't son of God, though he absolutely claimed to be God. Let's just clear up that myth. I'll talk with you about that later if you want. But his favorite title for himself was son of man. It's used 80 times in the New Testament. That's the glory of God shown in Jesus. God came and he embodied mankind. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know how Jesus shows us his glory? In his humility. That he took on humanity. You know what that shows us? You know what that shows you? It shows us our worth to him. And it shows us, he shows us, what humanity should look like. The last point, I'm not going to even elaborate on it. It's God not only fulfills his promises and embodies humanity, and therefore shows us his glory. It's that God bears our scars. He experienced the whole human experience except for one thing, sin. He never sinned. He was never tainted by sin until he took ours. Then he was tainted by sin. And he who knew no sin became sin. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, that's sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. God becomes man, 
bears our sin, brings hope. God becomes man. He's now with us. He's coming again.